0: Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with innovators, challenging the status quo to create a better world. You're listening to season one, our series on space as a service. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. That's at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And this season, I'll be chatting with executives creating the future of commercial real estate. If you're a landlord, if you're an asset owner, if you're an agent, if you're in corporate real estate, you need to be listening because we're answering all the questions you need to know about space as a service. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. This is our first season of the Hashtag Work Bold Podcast, or what I prefer to call this season as we explore space as a service, and dare I say, boldly go where no one has gone before. (laughs) Couldn't resist. (laughs) I'm so excited to launch this season with you, Anthony. Uh, Your reputation precedes you, but for those of you who may not know Anthony, go to his Twitter at Anthony Slumbers. Anthony travels the world speaking on space as a service and consulting with every type of company that touches real estate. He helps them understand and prepare for the big changes ahead that are also currently happening as a result of changes in technology, micro and macro economics, and evolving customer expectations. Now, I've been a big fan of Anthony for several years. And to my understanding, it was either you or Duke Long who coined the term space as a service. Now, my theory actually is that you guys both were sitting around a table in Spain, sipping on some Rioja when you came up with. The term spaces of service. What's the deal here?
1: You got it in one.
0: That's exactly
1: <laughs> how it happened. No, obviously it didn't quite happen like that because um, Duke would have been drinking whiskey rather rather than uh, the ochre. But Otherwise, there's the story. I don't. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I have known Duke for so many, so many years. Way back before there was any talk of sort of uh, prop, prop tech and the spaces of service thing came up. I think I first wrote about it in early 2014 or something. And I think it's one of those situations where um, uh, people invent the same thing at the same time in different, in different part, parts of the world. Duke still insists
0: it was, it was his thing, but I'm, I'm taking it as well. Well, so, he still uh, includes you in his top 100 people <laughs> to follow on Twitter.
1: Well, he's a very nice guy.
0: Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, have a, I have a question. Speaking of hashtags, you've also coined the term, the trillion-dollar hashtag is what you call spaces and servers. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Well, the tri- the trillion dollar hashtag for space as a service is really re- really comes from thinking about the sheer scale of the real estate in- industry and how prevalent or not you believe one believes space as a service will be within that within that industry. Now my my feeling is in in different ways space as a service is going to be 30, 40% of the entire market and more like 80 to 90% of the top end of the market, so the top 40% of the market, will in one way or another, I think, be spaces as a service type space. Now, this doesn't only mean space that is procured on a short-term basis, an hour or a week or anything other than a, a short lease. But this is more the other meaning of space as a service, which is, a, which is about space that provides you the services you need to do what you need to do as and when you need to do them. That's the point, this is a space that serves me and enables me to be as good, as good and effective as I can be. Now, if you, if you accept that that is an end point that makes sense across the top 30, 40% of the market and 80, 90% of the top market, Then actually getting to it being a trillion dollar industry is but a short jump simply because the scale of the
0: real estate industry is so fast. It's the largest asset class. And I'm glad you made that point because a lot of people talk about flex, flex space, when they think about space as a service. And and you made the point it's not just flex. I mean, it is flex, it includes flex, but it's not just flex. So I'm really glad you made, made that point. And this season is all about spaces of service, from the flex to from A to Z, basically. And in the conversations that I've had, Anthony, with landlords, is they're waking up, obviously, to it. Um, there's some very forward-thinking asset owners out there, but it, there's also a lot of people scratching their heads and trying to figure out what to do. And, and that's you know why we're having this podcast to help out with some of the questions that people have, and we want to answer these questions throughout the season. Uh, you mentioned in. A lot of your tweets, and I've seen you speak, you said this in your talks, that businesses don't want an office, they want a productive workforce. Talk about that for me real quick. It,
1: it's, it's what I think is the, the big category error within the, the real estate in, industry that we, we we build offices and we try and sell and lease offices. So what um what do we think our product is? We think our product is a is, is an office but in reality there's no company that says oh what i really want is a is an office that is not the end goal of anything it's our end goal because that's what we've got to sell but it's not what a company wants a company wants a productive workforce it's analogous to the, the i'm sure you've heard, heard the the line about you know um, people don't want to buy a drill it's not a drill that they want it's a hole in the wall yes and that's the that's the thing we are selling drills and we're selling offices as if they're drills, but actually what we should be selling is the hole in the wall.
0: You know, that reminds me of, um, there, there's a, there was an image about five or six years ago by, do you know Buffer, the, yeah. the, the social yeah. media yeah. Um, management uh, software? Um, so Buffer, their CEO, Joel, had put out um, this image of, do you remember back in the Super Mario Brothers worlds, Nintendo mm-hmm. days? So there was a, a, a picture of Super Mario, and there's a picture of um, a flower, and if, if any of you have ever played Super Mario, remember, when you eat the flour, basically, you become Super Mario. You become big, big Mario, and you can throw fireballs. So when it, in marketing speak, the, he what his point was making, in marketing speak, your product is the actual superpowers. That, exactly. that that's what you're selling. You're not, you're not selling the flour. You're selling the superpowers. Exactly. And that's kind of what you're saying. Exactly.
1: That, 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 that is a, the whole
0: point here. We have this... um.
1: It, historically within real estate people have paid paid a lot of attention to the rental costs and utilities but there's this jll um, report that came out i can't remember it was last year or something where they talk about utilities being three dollars rent being thirty dollars and your people being three hundred dollars and at the moment the real estate industry concentrates at that three and that thirty and completely ignores the three hundred well where is where is the real value this is the whole point about Space, space as a service. Space as a service is refocusing the real estate industry around those people. Sure, we need to cut energy use and, you know, you need competitive rents and good utility prices and everything. But in the, in the reality of what we should be trying to do, we should be going to companies and say, come and work in our spaces because our spaces will make will enable your workforce to be as productive as they can be. And that's in reality, the story we we should be telling, you know, offices, um, the real estate industry is, in many way, the office market is like a, it's like a feature, it's not a product. We think of it as the product, but it's not. It's just a component that is part part of part of what needs to be put together to enable a company to have productive productive people, and that's really where we should be aiming aiming at, because. That is where the main value is.
0: Well, if that's where the main value is. And, and we do talk about valuations in, in some of our future episodes. Um, but before we get there, you wrote an article about how landlords, they're either chicken or they're a pig. And when, it was one of my favorite articles. And if, if, if a landlord or an asset owner or, or you know, someone in commercial real estate is, they, they want to, to provide this these superpowers and, and the hole in the wall. They want to do that. They, they have a few different options. But, but going back to my first comment is people are scratching their heads trying to figure out the right approach for their company. So you've laid it out, in my opinion, very well in that in that article. Go check out Anthony's LinkedIn to, to read it. But um, can you give us a, just a little preview of that? Yeah, the chicken and the
1: pig question is the number one question that any landlord needs to ask, ask themselves. Am I a chicken or am I a pig? And this is based around the the joke about what's the difference between a chicken and a pig in a bacon and egg sandwich. Well, the chicken is involved, but the pig's committed. (laughs) Now, it doesn't, whether you're a pig or a chicken, doesn't matter. One is not better than the other. But if you want to be delivering a complete space as a service, this complete product, not this feature, which which is the office, you need to be a pig. You need to be absolutely committed across all the different workflows, departments of your business. The whole way your business operates has to have all the components or access to all the components to be able to create this complete product. Some people, that is a good thing for for them to do internally. Some people should not go anywhere near it because, frankly, if you are, if you are a real estate company and that is what your real skill is, well, just be a real estate company. But most of the time, given that we need the end product, you have to decide, do you do it yourself? You need a massive amount of skill, huge amount of power, massive commitment to be able to do that. Some will, probably the, the biggest. Or you do, do you just outsource it? Or do you do it in partnership, in partnership with someone? When you say outsourcing,
0: how is that different than in partnership? Well, and outsourcing would be simply... Is that leasing? Uh,
1: um, yes, effectively. Le- leasing to, leasing to, a, to an operator, and then you have nothing, nothing to do with it. A partnership is where, in partnership with an operator, you try and define what your brand proposition is. So what can we create? What do we need to create that suits our customer base and will give our customer base What it needs, what they, what they need, but it's distinctly ours or is just appropriate for them. So it's very much a matter of, um, as I say, the, the understanding the brand proposition. What is this product and service you want to offer your customers? And then how do you do it? If you outsource it, if you just lease it to a third party, then that's, that can be fine. But it's very clearly their, their brand proposition. If you do it all yourself, and you're not set up to do it, that's a very tricky thing to do. So mostly, I think, I think landlords' best position will be to work in partnership with operators who can fulfill the needs of their specific customers. Now, those needs are going to change, and they will change in different markets and different, and different sectors. So I always like to think of the, the analogy of hotels. Premier Inn... Are great hotels and great at what they do. Four Seasons are great at hotels mm-hmm. and great at what they do, but they are not the same. Mm-hmm. Not the same thing. One is is there to serve a particular type of customer, and the other, the, their customer. You really need to, as a landlord, understand what your customers are going to be demanding, and then how do you su- supply it for them? And that that could be a, a white label product or probably more likely it's going to be a tweet partnership deal with the various So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a movable feast, but you, you just have to understand very clearly up front where you stand and what your level of commitment is to
0: providing services yourself. That's a bit in contrast to the way things have been done in this industry because um, if, if we're talking about, you mentioned the Marriott Premier Inn, example. These are well-known brands. And those well-known brands became well-known by providing a specific service to a specific customer target. And, but commercial real estate doesn't do that. Commercial real estate provides a generic product to all customers. Maybe one could argue that the specific target audience is someone with a strong covenant strength. <laughs> but, um, but other than that, it's, it can be lawyers, it can be IT, it can be... So do you think that the end result, the end service is going to be a brand that's niche to a certain target customer? Or is it, are we still going to see some generic brand and services out there?
1: My, my feeling is uh, generic is, is exactly the part of the market where you don't want to be. You know, the, the, most of business, most of life is becoming more and more barbell. You can be at one end of it, you can be at the other end, end of it. You don't want to be in the middle. It's a bit like, you know, High Street and, and, and retail. Fortnum and Mason's knock, knock it out of the park. Primark knock it out of the park. Who, who's been dying? Everyone in the middle. Everyone who's just trying to be, oh, I'll sue, I'll sue everyone. Let's try and be a bit of everything to everyone. I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to work because the fundamental structural change that's happening in the market is that people do not need an office to do any work. You have on one side, the whole automation of work, the rise of AI and robotics, et cetera, et cetera, which is going to take Well, McKinsey talked a couple of years ago about 40 and 50% of the, all the tasks that people are paid to do in the world could be automated by currently adopted technology. So you've partly got this um, automation of huge amounts of work, this is not jobs going, but it's the component parts in all jobs are going to change. Not, I'm not saying all jobs will go, but every job will change because there's going to be components of it, the tasks that make up that job, half of, which, half of that will probably be automated. We are going to be using spaces to do much more, much more human work because a lot of this mechanical work, anything I talk about being structured, repeatable or predictable will be automated. So what is it that us humans are going to be doing? And this is a great paradox in a, in a, in a way that um, if you go back five, five years, it was a very good argument that you could make, and I often did, that offices were effectively redundant, that we didn't need, need them anymore. And in many ways, we don't need them. We don't need a, a retail shop either. The point is we have to be made to want them. With There has to be a reason. Why do I want an office? Because it's going to help me have a productive workforce. Why do I want an office? Not because it's an office. It's part of the tools that enable us as a company to have a productive workforce.
0: Well, I think that that's also on that. It's, you're talking about why the company wants to have an office. They don't. They want a productive workforce. But why does the employee or the team member want to come into the office? They don't want to come into the office, but they do want to have FaceTime with their colleagues. And...
1: But, 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 but that's exactly the point, isn't it? I mean, my feeling gen, generally speaking, certainly if you take central business districts, the, the, day, the days of people coming into the office, everyone coming into the office five days a week are in, in terminal decline. Because a lot of the time, I mean, Gensler do these surveys every year of um, how we use space. And it's been the same for, for year, year after year that roughly half of the time we spend in an office is on individual focus work and half the time is on communal teamwork. And it hasn't really changed except over the last few years, it's the percentage of teamwork is actually getting higher. I think it's now 45% teamwork, um, 55% teamwork, 45% um, communal work. So the only point of coming into an office really in the future is going to be to, to do human things. It's going to be to do this. It's going to be to be designing, um, ideating, abstract and critical thinking, judgment, social intelligence, all these human skills that we need our fellow humans to help catalyze us, catalyze the, these skills. That's why we're com- coming into the, the office. There's no point coming to the, into the office and just going tippy-tappy on your computer for eight, eight nine hours. That, that, that's ridiculous. Can so you know that your environment, this is the whole point. So the work you're doing is changing, and because the work you're doing is changing, you need different types of environment. And that's where different brands, which will understand the type of work, the type of tasks that you do in your type of company, in your type of industry, at your type of stage, and will design spaces that are most appropriate and provide you with, ex- with the space that provides you the services that you need. Now, all of those are going to be different. So, a lawyer has different. A lawyer has different things to do during the during the day than a sales department or a marketing department or a de- design department. Fashion industry has a whole set of tasks which are different to um, pharmaceutical industries, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this whole, all of this necessitates us us as real estate providers. Understanding what it is that our customers do, and then being able to configure our spaces to enable them to do it as as best as possible, and this is this is absolutely vital. But it ain't easy.
0: I mean, that's a good point right there. It's not easy, and you know I think there are some some experts at providing these services that uh, that exist and have existed for many years, but uh, a lot of the People I talk to in real estate, they think they can just throw up some white walls and, you know, put some open plan and, and think they've solved it. And it's, it's not the case. It's, it takes a lot more thought. But there are some really good ones doing it right, which this season, as I said earlier, we were going to be talking to some of these experts. And I want to bring up someone we, we know mutually, James Goldsmith over at AXA. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was here in this season talking to us about 22 Bishopsgate, which is the second largest building tallest building in in western europe even next to the shard if i get that right <laughs> am i wrong on that in london is it, it, <laughs> is it is it taller than the shard no it's not well okay so that's a point it's Depen- not depends what mass they put on the roof at the end it's not going to be taller than the shard but to my understanding it's it has it, 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 it there will not be an office space higher ah. than 22 bishop's gate so they've got a, they've got their their yeah it's um, something big yes <laughs> But uh, what James was saying to me is that the way, that in his episode, and uh, he talks about what the right makeup of space as a service in the building, how how you how it can complement the rest of the building, and what sort of community um, he wants to try to create within the, the building to, to and the amenities they want to provide to not just get the occupiers the 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 companies to be attracted, but the end users to want to come in and and feel good about themselves when they leave every day. So I want to ask you on that. What do you have an opinion on? What the right makeup of spaces and service in a building would be? Does it vary? I assume it would vary per building.
1: This, this is very much a, a movable feast, and is is dependent on the the type of building and and other things. Overall, I suspect a higher percentage each year over the course of the next ten years through the twenties will will be the case. I'm, I'm, I think it's ten to thirty percent or so at the moment, Um, because if you if you look at it, there's sort of lots of. um, You read a lot about if any large companies are moving today. Certainly in London, they're tending to take twenty five to thirty percent less space, uh, aggregate space than than they they currently have. So people are, are are shrinking down and. You see, one of the, one of the, um, one of the elephants in the, in the room that the industry tends to ignore is the occupancy in office buildings is absolutely shocking. You know, it's barely 50% of the time
0: Wait, uh, and, and is, is space being,
1: space being used.
0: You, you don't, you don't mean space being leased. You mean being used within the leased space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so I've got 10,000
1: square feet. Uh, half of the time is going to be empty, you know. Places are just incredibly in, real estate is incredibly inefficiently as well as ineffectively used. So, what I see the logical thing to happen in the sort of world we're moving into is for companies to contract down to, to their, their core requirement that they could keep occupied 70, 80% of the time. So, they might have 100, 100 staff they know, I don't know, it could be different for each each company, but they might know that there's always 40 people in the office, but there's never a hundred. Mm. Um, so take long lease space for those 40 and provide them with what, what they need if they're going to, the, the sort of people who are going to be there all the time. And then in an ideal world, the rest of the building, should you provide you with all the flexibility of, mm-hmm. of other types of services? Mm. You so you might want just some flex space, which you take on a, a couple of years, or you might want a meeting room for the afternoon, you might want an event space, you might want da, 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 da. It doesn't really matter. But ultimately, the way the industry should be looking at this is instead of trying to let the most space for the longest length of time to their customers, try and let the least space for the shortest amount of time and then charge them a lot more for it. Because works well, this should be a net, a net benefit. You should be able to drop your usage from, I don't know, 10,000 square feet to 5,000 square feet, but end up spending the same as if you'd taken 7,500. Because it's better,
0: betters, less, but better, less, but better. And, and I think w- what I see a challenge to that, I mean, I think it's an excellent point, but what I see the pushback from the industry is, And we talk about this in in one of our episodes this season around valuations is that the way buildings are valued is all based on forward-looking lease terms and what money you're getting in the future. And when we start reducing that commitment, then you can't predict the future as well. So the valuation gets affected, um, which is a massive problem to the adaption and rollout.
1: It's a real problem.
0: Because the customers it, it, are de- yeah. demanding
1: it. It is a, it is a real problem. My, in, in my understanding of people I talk to, everyone knows that the way we value office buildings at the moment is <clears throat> broken. Did you cough on purpose there? <laughs> I might have coughed on purpose <laughs> okay. there. It is absolutely broken. There still will be long leases. People will take long, long leases, and there will be a, a certain number of companies take long leases with really strong covenants. You can value those in the same way as historically we do. And mainly we do now. They're basically bonds. You're selling, buying, buying a bond in those, in those sorts of situation. But they're actually not going to be particularly good investments because they're going to be as rare, as rare as hen's teeth. Mm. So the competition for those sorts of places is, they're just going to be incredibly expensive. But everyone knows that the, the, the reality of the situation is that. It's the operational income that can be generated from this asset is what really matters. And we are moving from an industry that values office buildings based around a bond type model to one where it's more a business type model, which is where the operator is so important. So you can have, I'm certain you're going to have situations where you have two identical buildings, operator A in one of them, operator B in the other. Physically, they're exactly the same assets, but operator B will generate 25% more revenue out of that building than operator A, because operator A is not going to be as good as operator B. The important point there in terms of valuation is then what is the net? So from a landlord's point of view, where they have to be careful, they don't want a situation where their buildings are generating a great deal more money, but they're actually, if anything, making less because they're paying it all the way, they've leased it all to, a, to an operator. So who's who, taking the value? Yeah. Who, who's, taking, who's taking the value? Which is why you need, you, largely you do need some sort of partnership model. Because the the potential for generating a lot more income is absolutely certain. The question is, who
0: gets it? I mean, I'm glad you said that because three years ago, when I was talking to some of the landlords in London, about partnering you know the british people are really nice and they would never laugh in my face or slam a door in my face but metaphorically that's what happened but today i mean it's 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 refreshing to see that uh, i know you've been banging this drum for a long time but it's refreshing to see a lot of landlords actually calling and asking how do we do this now um, well i, th- I, th- I think what, it, what is really instructive to
1: look at here is you know it goes back to the follow, follow the money thing i mean it's, it's funny but then, you know i've a tech back Background And lots of people in pop tech mo- moan about the real estate industry saying, oh, well, they don't adopt technology and they don't do this, they don't do that. And what, what they get wrong is the real estate industry as is, is optimized for the real estate industry as is. And if your, if your value is dependent upon signing a long lease with a good covenant, you are going to do that. Up until the moment, you can no longer do it because the demand changes. Once the demand changes, you have no option. And I think you'll find an industry turning on a sixpence because they are, it is, as I say, it's an industry optimized for the way life is now. When the way life is now changes, the industry will, will change for it. It's pure supply and demand. And I think it's really instructive to look at what the, the money is doing. So you have things like Blackstone bought um, Office Group, group, Carlyle with Uncommon, Brockton Capital with Fora, um, Nuveen funding WeWork's purchase of Devonshire Square. And you start thinking, well, hang on a moment. Whoa, what's going on here? Well, it's the money. It's the money saying the operator is really important. And if I want to maximise my income, I need to be, I need to be a pig. No, no. I need to be really involved here and not just a just a just an out, outsider.
0: Do, do you really think that they were they were being pigs and in, in trying to maximize money, or do you think that it's been more of a defensive position, hedging their bets?
1: Well, well in 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 a in a way, it's a, in a way it's a hedging the, the the bets. In but in the same way as. Money money always does that. It has to move into markets in over a period of time. But I think there's an absolute truism here, though. Let's take the, the Nuveen and the, the Devonshire Square situation. Historically, the money would lend money to a developer. Developer would, would build or buy an asset. And then that developer may or may not sublease it to the likes of WeWork. Well, effectively, what you've got with Nuveen and Devonshire Square and WeWork is they actually taking out the middleman. Yeah. That's landlord as middleman, which seems like, whoa, well, hang on a moment. No, isn't the landlord king of the castle? No, the money's actually king of the castle. And what happens as technologies change, you, you find in, individual people's position weakening and you have sit- situations like that. Well, why give the money to a landlord who's then just going to le- let it out? I might as well do it direct. You know, WeWork can learn to do everything that a landlord can do. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult balancing game.
0: Well, I think, th- again, this is why we want to have these conversations on this podcast, because we want to answer a lot of these questions. And some of the questions that we've asked of like people from Instant Offices, with Lucy Watts and Mark uh, Bott over at Collier's, is what's driving this, the demand. What are, the cu- what, are, what are they seeing from the customers? What are they hearing from the customers? So I'm curious from you, um, as we continue this, this season, what sort of questions, and I'll ask this maybe two ways. What sort of questions would you be asking, Anthony, if you were sitting down around the board table with the customers, the end users? But also, and I'll ask the same question with the landlords, the asset owners who are actually doing it right. What kind of questions? Probably separate questions, of course. but
1: I I think the absolute critical questions to be asking are the ones that the industry historically has never done. And historically, industry has never been at all interested or frankly needed to be at all industry interested in what it is actual users of their space do and what do they need to be able to do what they do better. And the really critical questions are going to come down to understanding customer needs. What are the jobs to be done of my customer? The jobs to be done thing is interesting. It's a Clayton Christensen, an idea, Clayton Christensen, the man. When, when, and whenever, uh, anyone talks about disruption, Clayton Christensen wrote uh, literally wrote the books on, on disruption. But he wrote another book about, about what he called jobs to be done. And the point is, what he says, is you have to understand what it is someone is trying to do. Going back to the, the drill and the hole in the wall. What are they trying to do? Buy a drill? No, they're trying to get a hole in the wall. And this focus on each individual you can put them into to cohorts what do what does that department in this company in my building do all day do do they mainly do focus work on their own do they do teamwork what size team what size meetings do they have what types of spaces do they need what other requirements do they use event spaces do they have educators in for
0: in the in the evening so all that sort of stuff so what do you say to to the asset owner to the folks who are saying well why should I be worried about that? That's, that's the company's responsibility to make sure that their employees have what they need to get do their jobs. Why do I need... I'm just providing the building. Why do I need to provide the tools for them?
1: What, what do you say Well, well that? That, could, that goes back to my point about office being a feature, not a product. In a world where you could get away with doing that and someone needed to, needed to take an, a, an office and needed to sign a 15-year year lease, then whoopee dar. you don't have to, didn't have to do anything. But now you've, you're more and more, you're going to have occupiers that say, I want an office, I want a productive workforce. There's a whole range of components that go into making a productive workforce. Now, it's absolutely true. This often comes back of real estate on its own and the workplace on its own does not determine whether um, the productivity of a a company. Put a bad company in a great workplace and it's still a bad company. You cannot get around that. Put a good company in a great workplace and you end up with a better company. And my contention is one way or another, in order to enable, to be selling a productive workforce, not an office, I'm not selling you space. I'm not going to rent you space on a per square foot. I'm going to sell you a productive workforce and let's just take a couple of component parts where real estate can make a difference we know we know lighting heating air can, air quality and noise if they are not set at the right levels they impair cognitive function mm-hmm. so when someone says well an office you you, you can't say what uh, how an office affects um productivity well you can because if your office is constantly too hot, too cold, bad air quality and and noisy, it will impair the cognitive function of the people in that building. And they, ipso facto, will will work less productively. So there's that sort of area. So part of what the real estate industry can, can be doing is, is saying, we will ensure that this building create, does no harm to your, to your people. This building operates to the maximum capabilities of this building. Buildings will have different levels of how well they can perform, but that's just, that's just one aspect of it. But fundamentally, you, you have people taking office spaces now, trying to get a productive workforce. And what do they have to deal with? They have to deal with real estate. Then they have to deal with uh, networks because they need to put sensors in so they can understand how people are using the space. Then they need to understand data. Then they need to understand workplace design. Then they need to understand... HR and then they need to understand hospitalities. You've actually got six industries involved in any meaningful office as components in generating a great workplace. Today, those industries do not talk to each other. HR and workplace famously never talk to each other. The whole ethos of space as a service is that you are actually bringing all these disparate skills required to create space that provides the service we need into one and managed as one. And that's the big fundamental change that unless you do that, you cannot add these value-add
0: services to what otherwise is just a dumb box. Well, Dior Poleg, I-, I would almost call your counterpart in the US, along with Duke, yeah. <laughs> New Long, George um, wrote a book, and obviously he writes a lot on LinkedIn as well. and And he talks about the unbundling of services and, and the rebundling, and uh, he talks about how you know operators are becoming brokers, and brokers are becoming operators, and landlords are becoming. It's just sort of this whole brave new world, maybe, maybe <laughs> the way to say it. But um, I'm curious your opinion on who, who do you think's actually doing it right now? Who's thinking the right way about it? It's fair to
1: say, I think. That this is still very much a nascent field. People like me who are in, in this all the time, you, you always think whatever field you're in is what everyone is doing, but I, but I, but actually, uh, they're they're not. But I think there's some interesting there's some interesting examples that are starting to 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 come online in any sort of scale. So you have a company like uh, Great Portland Estates, which has done fantastic work over the last oh yeah the last few years, looking at I believe it's something like their average, their average occupier is less, than, is less than 5,000 square feet. So very prestigious, prime, prime locations with small old occupiers. And, and they've obviously faced this, well, what do we do? Do we outsource? Do we whatever? And they've developed a whole range of services and new specifications for design and fit out and how they operate They've published this. a whole manual think, yeah, so to speak, yeah, on this. Yeah, yep. exactly. They've done a lot of, they've really, they really dived in and done a lot of the hard thinking um, between, well, what is it? What is it that our customers need? And, and how much of that can we, as their landlord, help them? So I think they, they've done a, a fantastic job. Um, Who else? I think it's very interesting. I always use the, um, the Rockefeller Tower in, in, in New York. I think it is, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. So you've got to like a multi stack. Yeah, well, it's almost like a com- the 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 complete spaces of service building. So you've got you've got like a Convene Club on at the top. Convene is a an American company that started as an a, as an a, event company and then they moved into meeting rooms and then they moved into um, workspace a, work, workspace and then they yeah. built their own club. So in the in the, in the Seventy Five Rockefeller, you have a Convene Club on floor seventy five. And then you have a, a, a convene under, under that. And then you have, there's also a hundred thousand square foot we WeWork in there. And then there's also 11 floors where Airbnb are going in and they're effectively going to be running an Airbnb hotel. So you've almost got this like complete, complete stack of as a service type operators. And then if you come back here, you're talking about James Goldsmith and 22 Bishopsgate and i uh, that I, I love what they're doing at Twenty Two yeah. Bishopsgate. That they've, they've taken they've taken advantage of having this really big building and thought, well, how can we do, if you like, all the things that you would do if you had a really big building and you're starting from scratch now. And they're thinking through. And interestingly, Convene are opening their first European operation. In later this
0: 100,000
1: square feet. I think. Yeah, taken. yeah. A
0: big, la- big, later, actually, actually, um, I I won't spoil the, the podcast with James, but he talks specifically around the, around that deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's really really interesting, and th- and that that is a building that, from my understanding, is going to work along this basis of people will take a core amount of space, and then whatever else they want, the building provides it, and. I think that's really, really interesting in terms of we talked about valuations earlier. I think we need a two or three year more of a cycle and then it's, it's like if you go to, you go to your bank and you with your business and you want to raise some money, and they say, Well, give us three years' accounts you know after a certain amount of time, you can say, Well, that building generates that boom 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 mm-hmm. that's what that's what we've done there, there's your ev- evidence, and I think when I think I believe Twenty Two Bishopsgate is actually going to open this year.
0: It's supposed to, yes. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't, James wouldn't give us an exact date, yeah. which I don't blame him. Yeah, you. I don't think. It, yeah, but, but, yeah. Uh, but I'm That's already a,
1: gonna... a hostage a hostage fortune. <laughs> but I, I I think people some you know you talking about draw poleg um, definitely read read the stuff in, in he's doing is loads of really good pointers to stuff to say great Portland in doing interesting things Twenty Two Bishopsgate doing interesting
0: things. All right, so a couple of just. Uh, three, three questions for you. These are really super quick questions. Uh, I like to call this our quick fire round. And the first question is, within commercial real estate, who is it that inspires you or, or motivates you? Um, you know, you write a lot, you speak a lot. So you must talk to a lot of people. I do. And
1: you know, going, going, going back to draw, I read all the draw, draw stuff. And avidly, Um out of uh, Los Angeles, they do really interesting stuff.
0: I like I like how they they take a different approach, just sort of challenging the, the, the Yeah, they're,
1: they're they're not um, they're not just doing news. They're doing well. well, well what's next? Well, yeah. what, what matters? Where where's the beef? Show me, me the money. And, you know, there's there's so much so much changing. Um, there's a chap who works with JLL out
0: in Hong Kong, Jordan. Jordan Kostelak, I think he's at Twitter on scopelessness. I, I think that's who yeah, talking
1: that's about. that's right. And he, he's responsible for. Um, Sort of looking out for JLL's um, technology in, interest in in Asia. He, he he writes really really interesting stuff. I'm a particular fan of a large European developer called uh, HB Revis. Oh yeah, who a lot who are starting to make a, a quite quite a big um, splash over here. But are oh, actually the biggest developer in in Europe. But most most people over here have never heard of. They are a really, really interesting company because they've got a big development company. And then they have a standalone, but part of the group, workplace design consultancy. And then they have a standalone, but, in, uh, but combined workplace technology company. And I found and, and that-
0: They have their own co-working brand And as well. they have their own co- yep.
1: co-working brand. They, they are very, very interesting people to talk to. I talk to a lot of people in the, in the, in the Nordic countries. They're always, always really interesting. There's lots of individual people thinking hard about
0: real estate as a, as
1: a product, not just a, a, a feature.
0: So this is um, obviously our first episode of the first season of the Bold Podcast. And I know you'll be listening to all of our episodes, but um, what other podcasts do you listen to?
1: I listen to I listen to a lot of the um, a lot of technology uh, pod, podcasts actually. So my my main ones is a there's a podcast called Exponent FM. Exponent F- FM. Exponent FM, okay. which is run by an American chap based in Taipei in America. Taiwan, who talks about um, mainly talks about uh, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, that's that sort of thing. The A16Z. Uh, podcast, which is the Andreessen Horovitz oh, yeah. podcast, is fantastic. Um, I listen to a thing called Econ Talk, which is really interesting. I listen to a lot of e- economics ones. I listen to the the EG po- podcasts. That um, oh, was
0: Sam and Sam and
1: uh, Emily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Great. um. I mean, podcasts are, are interesting. I have a bit of a problem now that I I now have over a hundred podcasts in my in. Uh, that I subscribe to. And unfortunately about 50 of them are pretty much must listen to. So I think um, we were
0: having a a Twitter chat one day about how how long (laughs) you think. I don't
1: don't get any sleep (laughs) because I'm listening to all these things. There's a lot. I I think that the the fascinating thing about podcasts is it does give you an opportunity to sit and hear really interesting people talk for, for for decent amounts of time.
0: So I, I find them fantastically useful. Well, I have one final question for you, and um, it's it's actually not related to anything we've talked about um, today. You obviously travel a lot, speaking around the world. Um, you've been to India, you've been to New York, you've been all over Europe. You've probably been to Antarctica. You'll go to, to Mars at some point when Elon gets some traveling, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> some spaceships going across there. But where is your favorite holiday destination?
1: Ah, well, this is where it all goes all goes a bit. A bit weird because despite having run a technology company for 20 odd years my degree is actually in history and history of art <laughs> which is odd and i actually worked for an art dealer for, for quite a long time and my particular my favorite period in art is uh, is the renaissance so it has uh, to be italy has to be florence florence or yeah. really anywhere in italy but primarily stick me in florence and i'm a very happy bunny.
0: uh can you believe it i've been to italy multiple times and i've not been to florence yet well oh. I know. <laughs> I know I know I, it's on my list though for sure well thank you very much for coming on and joining me on this very first episode I really appreciate it Anthony it was a pleasure thank you guys for listening be sure to check out our upcoming episode in, next week and we'll be dropping out weekly our Spaces of service season so tune in each week and if you follow us on Twitter I am at Caleb underscore Parker we're at work bold and Anthony is at Anthony slumbers Thank you. See you next week. We've got an exciting and insightful season ahead, and I hope you enjoy every episode. If you do, I'd love for you to share it with that one person who you think should hear the message. You can always find our podcast on our website, workbold.co, and click on podcast. And it would mean a lot to me if you leave the show a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And finally, please do connect with me on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram, or just search LinkedIn. Send me a message, a DM, send me your questions. What do you want to hear about next? Comment on my accent or challenge what we've talked about. I want to hear from you. Now, thank you for listening, and don't forget fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a Podcast Company podcast. This
1: was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.